Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Movement is located in Newport, Kentucky, and you're always welcome to join us on a Sunday morning at 1030. Hope you enjoy this podcast. Man, happy, happy Easter. Um, I am one of those weirdos that really, really likes Easter. I, uh, I love Easter. Christmas is fine. Thanksgiving is fine. Fourth of July, like who doesn't like eating a brat, a hamburger, and a chicken breast? But I love, I love Easter. Um, and for me, I love what it means. Most clearly what it means to me is that, that death has been defeated. Like, that's as simple as I can understand it. That is where I put myself in understanding what is going on with Easter, is that death has been defeated. I, I think that the resurrection, what we see in Jesus is this grand preview. This grand preview of what we can hope for and where things are headed. The early church, the writings of everything after Jesus, the New Testament, what we see is that the early church looks to Jesus, and that is their conception of heaven. They're not talking about pearly gates and floating on this clouds and all that stuff. They look at Jesus and say, this Jesus, this Son of God, this Messiah, this one that we are waiting for, this God come down to be part of our humanity. What we see here is that this Jesus is somehow reborn, renewed, brought back to life. He was dead. He's now alive. He's fully alive. He's somehow different, somehow even better. So this is what I believe. I can't prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt because, to be honest, my doubts run rampant. To be honest, I struggle. I question, am I, am I a fool? Have I been mistaken? Am I fooling others? I I struggle with that because of how crazy this idea is. And I read the Bible and I read the stories of the resurrection. I say, that rings true. Even though this miraculous, incredible moment where someone comes back to life, of course people would doubt it. Of course people would be confused. I I can read what others have written. Throughout the last 2,000 years, the incredible followers of Jesus, men and women who are brighter than I will ever hope to be, write about this. I say, yes, that rings true. I can sit down with you all. I can sit around a table. I can have a conversation. I say, yes, this is incredible. But the doubts still remained. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. I think our faith and our doubts go hand in hand. At least they do for me. See, ultimately, this isn't about being convinced into faith. I'm not trying to sell faith. Faith is this idea that, that we, kind of, we kind of take it and we make it more abstract than it needs to be. Faith is simply trust. Trust that Jesus did what he said he did, that he was who he said he was, and that he walked out of that tomb alive. That, that for me, that his, this idea, this trust that his death forgives all of our sins, all of our mistakes, however you want to define it, everything, every screw-up where we have gone astray, both in the past and in the future. That this is a once-for-all payment on everything. This gives me hope. Here, here at Movement, we, we kind of break up what I talk about into sections. We call them sermon series. And we're just finishing up probably the longest sermon series we've ever done. We went 11 weeks through this series called Turn the Page. And the idea of, the, of Turn the Page was this, that we are going to look at the entire Bible. We're going to look at the scope of the Bible, and today we wrap that up. And we wrap this up not with the end of the story, because we don't really have the end of the story. We have people who look ahead, and there are hopes and these ideas and these concepts that are put out there. But the Bible doesn't really have the ending. See, the story essentially is turned back to us. That the resurrection is this climactic moment. 
in this moment begs this question. Not, here it all is, how could you not believe it? It begs this question, what are we going to do with this? It begs, it makes us, it forces us, it puts it back on us. What are you going to do with this story? The Bible puts it back there. See, this grand redemption project that culminates with Jesus coming down, living, dying, and being risen. We expect things to be kind of neatly wrapped up with a bow. Whatever story or show or movie, we expect there to be an ending. But our ending of the Bible, our ending of the Bible is put back on us. And so I think sometimes our expectations aren't exactly met here. What we expect the Bible to do, what we expect people like myself to tell you aren't exactly met. See, expectations can be a huge barrier. You show up to church, you have expectations, right? I can tell you this is going to last about an hour in total, not an hour from here. We're going to get you out of here so you can make it to lunch. I can tell you that, that the expectation is that we're not going to point new people out and say, look at you, everyone turn and clap for them, because that's exactly what you want to happen on your Sunday morning. The expectation is that we're not going to shake you down for your finances and say, well, if you don't give, maybe you don't love God. We're not going to do that. But what we are going to do is, is point you to something better. See, I, I think it's so easy for us to say that, that Easter is this kind of high moment. It's kind of like the Super Bowl of church. we got to bring our best. I have to bring my best stories, my best illustrations. I have to bring my best insights and turns of phrase. I should do everything I can to try and convince you of something. You would expect me to do that. I kind of expect that of myself. Now, and I think what I do is incredibly important. I don't think I'm important because I know myself. But I think what I do in terms of communicating the gospel, telling the story over and over again, is incredibly important. The little brother of Jesus, James, he writes that no one should want the role of teacher because of the responsibilities, because we're held to a higher standard. I think there's a weight. There's a weight to what we're doing here. I think there's a weight to when we're talking about Jesus. I think there's a weight to it because it's so beyond our understanding. It's so beyond what we can begin and hope to grasp. What I see over and over again is that my job is not to convince. It's not to lay out an argument. See, I'm not in the convincing business. I think I'm in the helping business. Here at Movement, we talk about wanting to help people find and follow Jesus. This is our mission as a church. It's not to convince you. It's not to, to browbeat you. It's not to get you to be better or live a moral life. You know, Jesus didn't die so that, good, so that bad people would be good. Jesus died so that dead people would live. You know, your morality is totally secondary to everything that has to do with Jesus. See, what I see myself is that my job is not to do the convincing. God is the one who does the convincing. We do the following. We do the helping. So the rest of our time here on Easter, here's my job as I see it. My job is to lay out some of those expectations that you and I have when we encounter Jesus. Whether you've been following Jesus for a long time, whether you don't consider yourself whether a follower, whether you are a, a, a former participant in church or whatever it is, I think we encounter Jesus. We bring to bear some expectations. So if, when, and as we say yes to Jesus, we bring certain expectations to the table, 
We'll expect things to go a certain way, and they won't. And my fear is in the midst of those expectations not coming the way we thought they would go, that we'll walk away from this. So here's that first expectation. Expectation one is that faith is simple. Expectation one is that faith is so simple. Here it is. Why don't you just believe it? Faith is this simple idea of like, oh, what's wrong with you? Why can't you believe that a dead man came back alive? This idea of, oh, why can't you just believe that God loves you in the midst of a world that is so broken? This simple idea of like, what's wrong with you? Why can't you believe that? I've often heard people say that if they could only see Jesus in the flesh, if they were there, it would be so much easier. But yet what we read in the Bible is that these people are writing their own versions, their own accounts. They're putting these things to paper. They're talking about what happened, what they saw, what they heard. They miss it over and over again. As we look through these Gospels that tell the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, this direct idea of God always speaking or Jesus making things simple is not what we see. Because the reality is faith is complex. One of the gospel writers, this academic named Luke, whose stated goal is he's going to create this historical account, kind of this running account of Jesus being born to the church being born. So it's going to encompass all of Jesus' teaching, all of his life, all of the aspects of his death, resurrection, and what people do with it. And he writes and he recounts this Easter Sunday moment where a group of women show up at the tomb. And of course it's women. It's, of course, it's going to be women who are saying, we have to go and pay respects. The the Sabbath is over, Sunday morning, we need to go and do this. In the midst of their crushing loss, they are recognizing that we need to pour things out. The men are cowering, the men are afraid, and the women say, we're going to show up, and we're going to pay our respects. And they get to the tomb, they see the, the tomb door, this rock has been rolled away, and the tomb is empty. And, what, and, and within they encounter these angels that, that tell them that Jesus is alive, he's been risen. And they rush back to the, the men, these other followers, the apostles, and they tell them this incredible news that Jesus is risen. And look at what the apostles say, uh, what the, how they respond. Luke chapter 24, verse 11. The apostles respond by saying this. They did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. Oh, we saw him die. We saw his lifeless body be put in the tomb. We know that he is dead. The Romans are very good at this. And you're telling me that he's alive? This is nonsense. It goes on to say that Peter, the, the leader of the twelve, the leader of the followers of Jesus, rushes to the tomb. He sees the empty tomb himself, and he still can't put it together. We often think that faith is so simple. We'll just go and we'll experience and we'll believe and everything will be fine. You know, I'm a, I'm a pastor. And sometimes I think people think that I have some sort of like stronger connection with God or like, well, Josh never doubts. Or Josh knows all the answers, which is a total misconception. Uh, it's a total misconception. I'm up here because God wants me up here, not because I have reached some sort of level of spirituality you haven't. I am still working out my faith. I am still wrestling with doubt. I've never seen a person come back from the dead, but I believe in the resurrection. I believe that this happened. I believe this to be true. And what I find is that my doubts lead me to maybe that second expectation that we deal with. We say faith is simple. The reality is it's complex. We also say faith is a one-time event. 
Faith is this one-time event. We'll check that box and we're good. We can move on and do whatever else we want in our life. I look back on my life. I see all these landmarks of my journey of following Jesus. I remember the children's Bible. I remember my parents reading to me, and then later I would read it, and the, the incredible stories of Noah's Ark and David and Goliath and Jesus being with the people and hanging out with kids. And I remember those ways in which I was first introduced to faith. I remember growing up in a church and listening to our pastor and thinking, man, he's doing a really bad job of telling this story. It's a lot more exciting than he's making this out to be. I remember when I got baptized, I made this public proclamation of faith. I say, I believe, I want to do something about it, I want to take part, I want to act, and so I'm going to do something that is loaded with meaning and symbolism, and something that Jesus did. I remember that, of letting the world know what was going on in my heart. I remember feeling devastated at a friend's suicide, and the big questions of faith and of God that I began to ask. I remember stepping into vocational ministry of, of doing this for a living and trying not to just live out my faith, but helping people along the way. I remember becoming a father twice in the ways it shifted my understanding of unconditional love. I remember stepping out to, to be a part of this church and starting this church and continuing to pursue it. I, I see the ways in which that I was doing that not for a job or a paycheck or security, but because my faith propelled me in such a way that this is the only thing I could do. I realize, looking back, that my faith is not a one-time event, but it's an ongoing process. We, we see this with the eyewitnesses of Jesus, the, the men and women who are written about and talk about, and the people who wrote the New Testament, and they wrote about what they heard and saw in Jesus. And they do not write themselves as the heroes of the story. They do not create this kind of idea of, look how smart we are. We picked it up before everyone else did. No, no, they're very honest. They're very honest about their shortcomings. And in fact, one of these first followers of Jesus, I love so much, this guy named Thomas. Thomas sees the miracles. He is there. He hears the teachings. He saw blind people see. He saw lame people walk. He saw Lazarus come out of the tomb alive. He has seen it all. But Lazarus hears the stories that the tomb is empty and it's not good enough for him. He is not ready to take that step. He has experienced all these faith-building moments and this critical moment of the resurrection, he says, I'm not sure. In John chapter 20, verse 25, it said, the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, but he, being Thomas, said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. In this moment, I, I think that my first reading this, my first understanding of this is like, what's wrong with Thomas? Like, like, could he not put the pieces together? Was he so dense that he missed this? But notice that Jesus honors these questions. He shows up to him. He allows Thomas to see and touch the wounds. See, along the way, you and I will have low points. Whether it be because something happened or just because of what's going on inside of us. There will be tragedy. Perhaps there's illness, mental or physical. Perhaps there's moments where, where trust and relationships are just destroyed. But perhaps for you, it's just this new understanding, this new information. You think this doesn't align with what I was taught or how I understand the world. And we, we go through this process where we, we say, you know what, I'm not sure about this. Our doubts begin to overwhelm. Of course we will have these times. And of course for some of us it may mean that we walk away to some degree or another. But if Thomas, who saw the healings, 
the miracles, the teachings, the raising of Lazarus, who heard all the things that Jesus had to say, if he experienced all that doubt, he experienced all that and still doubted, yet Jesus lets Thomas ask his questions, express his doubts, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what's going on in your life, I believe that Jesus is still pursuing you. Because in these moments where we have these expectations of how things are going to go and they don't go that way and things start to fall apart, I believe Jesus is still pursuing us. He's still coming after us. This is this incredible gift, this incredible idea that Jesus on the cross, in the empty tomb, what he did in this totality of everything was he made it possible for us to connect with God. He made it possible for us to be forgiven. He made it possible for us to have hope and life as it should be now and into eternity. This brings us to our last expectation. We ask this question, how can I earn it? What do I need to do? What do I need to avoid so I don't lose it? Tell me what to do. This is why morality and lists of things you should and shouldn't do is so comforting, right? Just tell me the rules. Just tell me what I should do. Draw the lines and tell me that I have to stay here and not go over there. It's so comforting to us to say, like, this is how I can know that I'm okay. Do I have to achieve some sort of level of spirituality or morality? Do I have to be good enough? But here's the problem. I have an incredible propensity to screw things up. You pick an area of my life. My finances, my relationships, my personal integrity, the ways in which I treat other people, my temper, all sorts of things. You just pick one area of my life and you'll see all sorts of flaws. And guys, as much as I wish this wasn't the case, that's not going to change. That's not going to change in my life. I'm not just going to become this ideal saintly person because I try hard enough or, or, or because I, I simply work at it or, or, or simply because of my effort and I white-knuckle things. What I see over and over again is that Jesus essentially says, I get it, you're not going to get there, we're going to make a way forward. We're going to make a way forward. And so over and over again, I have to remind myself, I have to remind myself that I don't have to do anything to keep this incredible gift of love, of grace, and forgiveness. Because the reality is this. Grace is a free gift. Paul, one of the, one of the leaders, one of the preeminent leaders of the church there in the first century, the first generation or so after Jesus, he writes to this early church of these people who are grappling with these ideas of saying, well, what do I have to do? How do I have to make sense of this? And we have it in the Bible, it's in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Paul says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. If you've been around church for a while, you really struggle with this. If you're fairly new, this might be easier for you. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything to get this. Paul says all the work, not just the heavy parts, not just the big parts. Paul says all the work, all the work of making things right, all the work of making sure that you can be at peace and connected to God, all the work of forgiveness, all the work of cleaning up doesn't happen once you figure it out, doesn't happen once you make things right. It's already been done. 
And he says, don't even try to go down that path where you say, look how great I am. Don't be bragging about it because understand you've done nothing. According to Paul, we receive this gift by receiving it. By saying yes, by being open to it. It's not something to to, to be earned. We get so caught up in trying to earn this idea, this free gift we, we try really hard, we try to follow the rules, we, and we end up d- diving into something that is the opposite of grace. Shame. See, shame says you haven't done enough. Shame says that you're not smart enough. Shame says that you aren't good enough. Shame says what's the point of even trying? Shame keeps us right where we are. It, it freezes us because we understand that we are doomed to repeat the same cycle of effort and failure. It brings shame and worthlessness. But what does Jesus say on the cross? He says, it is finished. He says, it is finished. And I think you can intentionally read that a lot of ways. I think you can see that Jesus is saying, this is my last act. I'm giving it all in this moment, and I don't understand the will of my Father, but I am committed to it. I think you could read that and saying, it is finished. All the junk all the, the, the baggage that we carry, all the effort, we've got to do this to get to this place. It's over. It's finished. I think Jesus is saying that all that we have put forward, all that we have done, and Jesus ends it, all the shame, the feeling that we can never live up to our own standards, let alone God's. And if we missed it there on the cross on Friday, he walks out of the tomb on Sunday. I think it's, it seems to be confusing to people. The people need to see and experience it for themselves for they'll believe this incredible act that this man who is dead is now alive and he eats with people. He talks with people. He comforts them. He speaks truth and love. He announces purpose and mission. And he promises, he promises that a piece of himself will reside with us, his followers. On Sunday, he is saying that the whole death thing it's finished. It's over. My daughter, she's four. She's cute, but don't believe it. She's at that place where uh, she's starting to ask a lot of questions about death. And, and it, it really throws you for a loop as a parent the first time that happens. And they ask you these questions about death and what's going to happen. And they ask, well, well am I going to die? And, and daddy, are you going to die? And, and who's going to die first? And we drive by a cemetery, and she asks, well, what's, what's that place, and are there people buried there? And you have to, you have to explain that. And it's realizing to me, it's, it's opening me up to this understanding that, that she is just now, now starting to grapple with this concept of death. She is just becoming aware of this, and it doesn't make sense to her. And I think that is so indicative Because what did Jesus tell us to do? To look to the kids to understand things. Not to be naive, but understand that they recognize something's not right. And they look, look to the kids and see how they understand that this whole death thing doesn't make any sense. And as a father, I I tell her that those who have passed on, well, they are with Jesus. And I have no idea what that means. I have no idea what that looks like. But I trust it. I believe it to be true. She asked these hard questions about death, and and I realized that when we talk about death, we miss the point. Because in the midst of all that grief, of all that pain, 
of all that just complete, this cannot be happening. Jesus comes back. I think about the funerals, the first funerals I went to when I was a kid. I think about a grandfather. I think about a friend's dad. I think about these moments where it just seems so surreal. And you, you go up to the casket or you're at the memorial and you think, is, is this a dream? And, and I think the beauty and I think the hope and the power is that Jesus says, yes, this is an illusion. This isn't how it ends. This isn't the last word. That in the resurrection, when he says it is finished, he's saying that death no longer gets the last word. As his followers are the most devastated, Jesus comes back. Jesus comes back and says there's something more, there's something better. And the story moves in. The story moves on and says, how do people wrestle with this? And we are part of that story. The story moves forward and says, what are we going to do about it? See, faith doesn't make sense. It's very complex. It's not simple. Faith doesn't just happen once. It's an ongoing process. That this whole incredible gift, there's there's no cost to it. There's no requirement. And this resurrection, this Easter, is this giant invitation. This giant invitation not to be better, not to do better, not to make sure you show up to church every week, not to make sure that you're generous, not to make sure that you vote a certain way and you do certain things with your your time and your resources or you raise your kids a certain way or, or whatever. All that doesn't really matter. Because what does Jesus say? This is the life to move forward. He says it is finished. All the, all the junk, all the pain, all the hardship, all of that grief that we experience as something that I don't think we were designed to experience in death, I think Jesus says, guess what? I took care of it. This doesn't get the last word. There's something better. And how do you get that? You just say yes. You just say yes. Let's pray. God, I wish I understood better.